Thanks, Christy. I'll tell you a little bit about me. Um, so Jared mentioned my name's Chad Helmer, and um, I showed up on this campus as a freshman a brief 16 years ago. And I lived right down the way here in Lincoln Hall for three years. I, I, I love Lincoln. Uh, I haven't been in it since it's been remodeled. So at some point I want a tour. But uh, graduated from here, got a degree in computer science, married my sweet wife, Christy. Um, if I could get my slides up there, I would love to show a photo of here. She's not feeling well, so she's at home tonight. Um, but uh, we got married the weekend after we graduated, which I don't recommend. It made for a pretty crazy transition in life. But um, but she and I, we graduated and, uh, in 2005. We moved to Columbus. We worked for a couple of years at a large financial institution there. And I'll tell you, what, I love my job. I love my coworkers. I love my boss. I love my paycheck. It was, it was great. All of it was awesome. Life was good. But Christy and I, we could not stay away from this community from 180, from crew, because we loved hearing stories and being a part of what God's doing to change the lives of students on this campus. And so each, each time I hear a story like Hannah's tonight, it reminds me that God is real and that he's at work in our lives. Any chance we'll get my slides up there? I'm just curious. So, all right, we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So, um, <clears throat> But, uh, but we love hearing those kinds of stories because God is writing a story in each of our lives. And really, he's writing his own story too. Or maybe a better way to think about it is that, is that God's not just the script writer and the director, but he's also, he also has an acting part in a larger drama that involves your life and mine. You see, there's a divine drama that's being played out, really a cosmic narrative and like all good stories, it has a protagonist, an antagonist, it's got extras, you know, it's got this sort of supporting characters in it. It's full of imagery and symbolism. There's all kinds of rich details of this story that God is writing. And that's what brings us to the passage that we're going to get to see tonight, hopefully. <laughs> um, because really what we want to look at tonight, just briefly with you, is a critical turning point in the narrative that God is writing. In the divine drama, in the larger story that God is writing, tonight we're going to look at a critical turning point. And so if you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you did, but if you didn't, that's okay. Um, normally we'll have it up here on the screen for you. And the other thing I just want to say by way of parenthetical statement is that um, when I say I hope you brought your Bibles tonight, I realize most of you probably don't have one, and that's totally okay. I brought you a box from my basement. And so afterwards... <laughs> Feel free to come down here and grab a Bible out of the box, and if we run out, I'll have more next week, but we'd very much want for you to have a Bible, and uh, we'd want for you to bring it every week if you could. And so um, here's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and uh, if you're getting familiar with your Bible, it's divided into two sections. There's the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament. So there's two parts to it. And if you come to the New Testament, there's four books there right at the beginning. Uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're looking at the beginning of John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Here's what I want you to hear from me tonight. The thing I want you to know is that only when we understand God's story, in the story that he's writing, can we rightly understand our own story? Only when we understand what God is doing, the story he's writing, can we understand our story. And there are two big surprises in God's story that we're going to look at tonight. And the first one 
comes from this passage. And I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read it a little bit slower. So you can just sort of close your eyes, follow along, um, since we don't have it on the screen for you. But it's beginning in... Look at that. Behold, it says. (laughs) Um, And uh, real quick, I just have to ask, can you back up two slides? I want want to show my my sweet wife. Oh, no, it's okay. It's all right. That's too tricky. Hold tight. So maybe some other time. So love my wife dearly and like to brag on her when I can. But follow along with me. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. It's right up here. And this is the testimony of John the Baptist. So this is about John the Baptist. Uh, It says, and this is the testimony of John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So they're asking about who John the Baptist is. And so it says, he, John the Baptist, confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Next slide. And they ask him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John responds and he says this. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, Disregard what's up there for a moment. Just listen to me. Um, the first century, when, when this is taking place, was time, it was a time full of hope and anticipation. The world was an absolute mess. Things had not been right for a long, long time. Probably sounds familiar when you think about the world that we live in. But the Jewish people, they'd been under oppression from the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Persians and now the Romans. In a hope, they had this hope that God would one day raise up for them an anointed one. In Hebrew, the word uh, we get is where we get the word Messiah. In Greek, it's where we get the word Christ. But an anointed one who would deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. And so these Jews, they come from Jerusalem, and they come to talk to John the Baptist, and they want to ask, pretty much they're walking up to John the Baptist, and they're saying, look, are you the guy? Are you the, are you the one that we've been waiting for all this time? And he says, look, I am not the Christ. He says, no, I'm not Elijah, the return of one of Israel's ancient prophets. He says, no, I'm not some prophet you're looking for. And so they're exasperated and they say, who are you? And what's important about this is that John knows his part in the story. Because the scene that we're reading about had actually been scripted. God knew it was going to happen, and he had scripted the details of it 700 years before. And so don't flip there, but if you were to flip back in your Bible to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, what you'd find is the prophecy from Isaiah 700 years before anticipating this very moment that we're reading about, where John the Baptist says, I'm the one, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. You see, John knows that God has been at work long before, long before this moment, and he's been writing this story. God's been writing a story that leads up to this moment that John finds himself in. And so he's emphatic, and he communicates to them, look, the story about what God is doing is much bigger than me. It's larger and grander. It's a bigger story. And here's why this is important. You're wondering, where is he going with all of this? Here's here's where I'm going. You see, we're always tempted, myself included, we're always tempted to think that we're the main character in the story. 
we're always tempted to conclude that the world or the universe really revolves around us. Our wants, our desires, our hopes, our dreams. But the story, the one that God is writing, that includes your life, it's bigger and grander and more surprising than you think it is. Now, Maybe another way to think about it is like this. I love mountains, and uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get a slide up here in just a minute, but may, maybe not. Oh, there it is. Awesome. Okay, so um, I love mountains, and being on staff with crew, I have the privilege every other summer to, uh, to spend some time in Colorado. We have, a, we have a staff conference out there every other summer, and so a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted to climb one of Colorado's toughest, meanest, 14,000-foot mountains. Colorado's famous for having 50, 14,000-foot mountains. They call them just 14ers. And so one of them, Long's Peak, this thing is a beast. I don't know what else to tell you. It is incredible. So it's, it's a 5,000-foot elevation gain. It's eight miles up to the summit and eight miles back down. It is an epic, like... Um, like Odysseus epic, like Sam and Frodo kind of epic, okay? I mean, um, I was just thinking, I was thinking I was going to Mordor the whole time. But I love this mountain and I wanted to climb it. Every, and I, I mean, it's crazy. There are these sheer cliffs that you can fall off of. Every year, six or seven people die on this mountain from falls or from lightning strikes. But we were determined, me and a group of friends. And so, <laughs> I know, you're starting to doubt my sanity, which is okay. Um, but here's the thing. Here's what's incredible, okay, is that the way you climb this mountain is there's, there's a path that, that goes up to the front of the mountain and then wraps around the back. And then the way to get to the top is you go up the last maybe mile and a half coming up the back of the mountain. So all you see is rock, okay? You're just climbing hand and foot over boulders up the backside of this thing for a mile and a half. It's brutal. But then when you get to the top, and you're feeling really tough, right? You're feeling pretty good about yourself because you've just summited this monstrous mountain. Then you see this. And all of a sudden, you don't feel so tough anymore. <laughs> and the reason is because you realize how small you are. You realize how tiny your life is. How there are thousands and thousands of other people, other stories going on, and you look down on the earth from 14,285 feet in the air, and you realize that your story is not the most important one. You suddenly realize that you're on a giant rock hurtling through space at 67,000 miles an hour, okay? And that there are seven and a half billion other people on this planet. People are being born while at the same time while people are dying. People are getting in auto accidents at the same time people are winning the lottery. It's crazy down there, okay? And you're standing on a mountain and you realize that your story is just one. And the earth spins round and round. And from the top of the mountain, you're reminded that the story that God is writing is bigger and grander than just me. Do you ever think about that? Consider for a moment all that God has done in your life to bring you to this very moment. Climb up on the mountain and look down with me for just a minute. You sit here at Ohio University in Morton 201 on Thursday night, August 31st of 2017. Think about where you were born that made it possible for you to be here tonight. Think about the people that God used to get you here, parents and teachers and friends. Think about the events and the values and the circumstances that led to you coming to OU rather than some lesser school like Miami. 
Um, all right, there is. So, think about it. Think about the financial resources, or at least for some of you, the respectable credit that allowed you to pay your fall tuition, right? Think about all of those things. Do you know what they all have in common? You had control over none of them. But yet here you are tonight. And what I want you to know is that God has orchestrated the events of history and the events of your story to bring you here to this very room on this very night for a very specific purpose in his grand story. It's not an accident that you stumbled into Morton 201 tonight. And the reason, the reason that you're here is that whether you know it or not, God wants you to be involved in his story. God wants you uh, to be involved in his plan. He wants to do something in you and through you. He created you. He thought, he thought and maybe at times you've doubted this, but, but God believed that you were worth bringing on the stage of this cosmic story of his. And I can't think of a better time than tonight here at the start of a new chapter of your story, the start of a new academic year, for you to consider what kind of character you're going to be in God's story. We're going to talk about what that looks like over the next couple of weeks. But for now, what I want you to realize is that only when we understand God's story can we understand how our story fits into it. Our story doesn't make any sense unless it's anchored in his story. Now, reading on in the passage, because all of this really begs the question, if the story's not about me, who is it about? What's the story really about? And if we were to move on to verse 29, I don't know if there's any chance, but we'll see if we can move on to verse 29. The next day, it says, so John the Baptist, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, big surprise number two in God's story is that Jesus is the central figure in God's story. This is the moment that the main character of God's plan walks onto the stage of history. He steps out and, I mean, just imagine this, the scenario. John the Baptist, he's back at work. He's back at the Jordan River near Bethany doing his, you know, doing his job, baptizing people, dunking them left and right, doing his thing. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, the moment that from eternity past has been awaited, he walks on the scene. He steps onto the stage and John says, he's the one. He points out the main character and in a single breath, he tells what the story is about. He says, behold. He says, behold him. Gaze at him, stare at him, look contemplatively. It's him. He's the one the story's all about. And here's the one whom the story, what God has planned from the beginning. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. He's the prophet who's greater than Moses. He's the priest who's greater than Aaron. He's the king who's greater than, Dar- who, uh, greater than David. He's the one who would deliver God's people from, uh, from oppression. The one who created the universe. The one the Bible calls the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one around whom the whole universe revolves. And it's as though John the Baptist points and and says, behold, for the entire universe to stop and gaze and behold at Jesus, to stare at him. Did you know that Jesus is the main character in this cosmic story, this giant plan that God has? And if that's true, That means that he's not just the main character in God's story, but he's the main character in all of our stories. 
It means that whether you know it or not, your story is very much wrapped up with the person of Jesus Christ. Now, John goes on from here, and he tells us what the story is about. In his next breath, he calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what does he mean? He calls him the Lamb of God, which is an extraordinarily rich imagery. It pulls together all of this rich symbolism from the Old Testament that I don't have time to unpack. But the point is, John has invented a phrase, really a title for Jesus, that symbolizes that he's the fulfillment of the hopes of every human being. That tells the point, it makes the point by calling him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It makes the point that he is the deepest love that we could ever hope for. That he offers the surest future that you could ever dream of. That he's the most loyal friend that you could ever want. One famous preacher, S.M. Lockridge, he said it like this. He said, I wish I could describe him to you. He's absolutely incredible. His death is the greatest sacrifice for you. His resurrection is the greatest gift for you. His ascension is the greatest promise for you. And the question is, do you know him? Do you know the main character personally? Have you met him? Because how can you live out your part of the story if you don't know the main character of the plot? I'm not one for watching the, uh, how many of you are big fans of like the Emmys and the Oscars? How many of you watch them? Some of you people, yeah, some of you people are like, I will not miss it. I, I never watch them and I never know which one's for movies and which one's for TVs, uh, uh, TV shows. But um, yes, you know what I mean. But do you know who won Best Supporting Actor last year in the Oscars? Well, it's an actor. That's, that, the movie did win a bunch of awards. That's true. I actually don't know. I was curious if you knew. But I don't know who it was. But here's what I do know. I do know what it takes to win Best Supporting Actor. Really, it takes two things, okay? First is you've got to know and perform the script really well, right? Like, if you're going to be the Best Supporting Actor, you've got to know the story and be able to perform it well. And the second thing you've got to do to win Best Supporting Actor is you've got to make the main character look really, really good. I think it's that simple. I don't know. Maybe there's some actors that would disagree with me. But it, the point is, it, it's what John says here. It, it's why John says, just a little bit later in the Gospel of John, he says, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. He must become greater. I must become less. Yes, right there. John the Baptist, best supporting actor, par excellence, okay? He's a model for us because we, when we play our part best, we play our part best when we know the script well and we make the main character look really, really good. For the last time, only when we understand God's story can we rightly understand our own story. So I want to close with a couple of questions that I want you to think about, Okay? And the first is, do you know the story? Have you read the script? Because my goal tonight uh, was really, is really small. It's just to whet your appetite. You're in college and you're going to read a lot of books this year. And my challenge to you is to read the Gospel of John this week. Just pick up where we left off in chapter one and just keep going. You could do it in three chapters a day. And in Bible talk, that means about three pages a day. Uh, three pages a day. But I would challenge you to finish reading the Gospel of John this week just to become familiar with the story, with the script. And again, if you don't have a Bible, I really want you to come and grab one after 180. But the second thing is, do you know the central figure of the story? Have you beheld him, 
gazed upon him, reflected upon him. Because next week, right back here, we are going to begin a series called More Than. And we're going to spend several weeks talking about Jesus and how he's more than what is commonly thought. We're going, to th- we're going to think about him, reflect on his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and we're going to behold him together. And so I want to challenge you to make coming here on Thursday nights at 9 p.m., I want to, I want to challenge you to make a commitment to come for the next three weeks. And the reason is because I'm convinced as we study the person of Jesus that God's going to do something in your life. And if he doesn't, I'll give you your money back. Um, But I'm convinced he will. I really think he will. As we think about and behold the person of Jesus. Now, lastly, I want to give you a moment to respond. Because 180 isn't just an opportunity for you to come and hear from God and his word, but it's actually an opportunity for God to hear from you. And so I want to invite you in just a moment to take, just to take a moment and to pray silently and to talk to God. And if you've never prayed before, you need to know that God isn't as concerned with the words and what you say as he is with the attitude and the intentions of your heart. But I want, to, I want to invite you to talk to him and really to give this next chapter of your story to him. Say, God, I want you to lead and guide and direct this next chapter of my story. Ask him to help you live as, as the right kind of supporting character in God's bigger story. And so we're going to dim the lights. I'm going to give you two to three minutes to pray, and then I'll pray, and then the worship band's going to help us respond, okay? So let's take a moment and pray now. Oh God, we are mindful that it is no accident that we are gathered here tonight. God, I give you thanks for each person in this room and that you have done a work in their lives, even if it were just to bring them to this moment where they could step in the door of something like 180. God, together we want to give the coming year to you. God, we ask that you would be the author of this next chapter of our story individually and as a community. And God, I I know that there there are men and women in the room here tonight who think it's already too late for me. I've already blown it this year. I'm not the kind of person that I thought I was. And God, I pray that tonight would be a fresh start for each of us. Lord, I pray and give you thanks for your grace that you lavish upon us in the person of your son, Jesus. Father, I pray for my friends here that each week they would climb up on Mount Perspective here at on Thursday nights at 9 p.m., that we would be reminded together that our lives are a part of what you're doing, that we want to worship and honor the main character for all that he has done for us. And so, Father, we entrust the coming weeks and months and year to you and ask that you would bless it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.